0: Welcome back into CBS Sports Radio in Rochester, 105 5 the team, but transitioning over to 97 5 the team. My first stab at being on the new signal. Hopefully you're enjoying it and enjoying the show today. And obviously we let off today's show talking about the Kyrie Irving trade as one of our headlines. And we're going to get more in depth with it here with our guest this week, Ashley Bastock, good friend of mine from our days at John Kerry University. She is now covering the Cavaliers for Northeast Ohio Sports Insiders. She does some other freelance work as well. Ashley, welcome back to the show. I know it's been a busy, what, 12 hours or so for you.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure, Spencer. As You know, like we were talking before, the past 12 hours or so, just over 12 hours, have been pretty much crazier than anything that happened this past season with the Cavs, playoffs included. But, uh, you know, now the trade is official, and it's time to move on and into this 2017-18 season, and we'll see how all of this plays out.
0: Yeah, certainly going to make for an exciting 2017-2018 NBA season coming up. Before we get to more in-depth with the trade stuff, I did want to ask you, being John Carroll alums, uh, we're going to toot our own horn a little bit here, but I know you wrote this article that came out earlier this week Talking about it was titled "Cleveland's Hidden Gem Builds Pipeline to the NFL" and just about some of the big names that obviously are part of the NFL history and also currently in the NFL that were John Carroll alums. I know here in Buffalo, or not here in Buffalo, here in Rochester, but Western New York in general, the name Greg Roman rings a bell. He was the offensive coordinator for the Bills two years, the last these previous two years. Um, obviously, everybody knows who Don Shula is. London Fletcher played for the Bills at a point in his career as well. So these are names that people have heard of. And a lot of these guys are John Carroll alums. I guess, what was it like for you interviewing some of these higher up executives and scouts and different people within organizations around the NFL and kind of getting their, picking their brains on how they were able to get there and, and just their path to the NFL?
1: Well, it was almost surreal, like in general, just being able to talk to these alums who, having gone to John Carroll, and I'm sure it was the same way with you. You hear so much about these guys and, you know, Tom Telesco, Greg Roman, uh, David Caldwell, um, Nick Casario, Josh McDaniels, just some of the 14 alums that are currently working in player personnel uh, and front office positions. Um, but it is really surreal to hear them talk about their alma mater and to talk about how much the school has done for them and how they feel that it really helped them get their start. Um, the most interesting part of talking to them, though, is that no one has this direct answer or idea for what makes John Carroll this unique school, because, you know, um, like I said, the SID. That John Carroll, Chris Wensler probably said it best is there has to be something at this point mm-hmm. when you have 14 guys yeah. that are working in the league. Um, but it really is, what is that something? And it really seems to me like it's a combination of this Jesuit education that John Carroll provides along with a Division III football program that, as Tom Telesco said, has a Division One feel. Um, And I think that's true even today. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time management. And now with the legacy of all of these alumni currently working in the league, I think it gives current students, you know, they have the ability to sort of dare to dream, if you will. And it's sort of it really is a unique story and a unique situation that has sort of come and gone in waves with John Carroll alumni.
0: Absolutely. And I think you're spot on with that. I mean, one thing I've noticed is just how tight-knit of a group us John Carroll alums are, whether you never met each other and you go somewhere and you meet somebody. And I think I to- we texted the other day, and I think I told you, covering one of the Bills games last year, I actually was overheard by Nick Casario talking about John Carroll, and he came over and introduced himself to me. So it was kind of funny. Just John Carroll alums in general, I think, really bond well. They respond to each other well. They they're never afraid to lend a hand or introduce themselves and in, in chat. So um, I, it's it's definitely a cool thing. And like you said, there's there's something in the water down there. We don't quite know what it is, but something about that university, our proud university, continues to pump out these 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 hidden gems, as you called them. That go on to do big things in the NFL, so it's kind of a cool story for sure. But we'll get back to more of the point of this this phone call, this discussion uh, regarding the big trade between the Cavaliers and Celtics. We'll we'll stop selfishly talking about John Carroll for a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess I'll start you off with obviously the, the the trade. Kyrie goes to the Celtics. Cavs get three players: Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder and um, Arte uh, Zizich in return, as well as Brooklyn's unprotected pick for next year. A big haul for the Cavs. Analyze this thing from both perspectives. How should Boston fans feel about their end of the deal, and how should, on the flip side, the Cavs fans feel about theirs?
1: Well, I think the takeaway for both teams is there's literally no loser in this trade, and I think it's pretty yeah. rare that um, you see that happening in the NBA especially. Um, you know, this is the first time that two players who averaged at least 25 points have been traded it, uh, for each other in the NBA, um, which is pretty remarkable in and of itself. You know, I think from the Celtics standpoint, obviously you get one of the best players in the East, the top five player in the East, maybe the second best player in the East in Kyrie Irving, um, an incredibly gifted offensive talent. Um, and then in the Cavs case, you get essentially three players, uh, a pick next year and two starters for your starting point guard. Um, So obviously, especially here in Cleveland, I think their fans are sad to see Irving go. Um, It's something that I think a lot of people knew had to be done, But as far as the Cavs go, I think there was really no better haul that they were going to get for him, especially this late in the game, uh, right before training camp.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct in terms of both teams kind of got what they wanted, and especially with the Cavs getting that haul, the pick thrown in, which is huge for them, barring a potential LeBron James uh, departure next summer. So, yeah, I, I think both sides certainly look at this as a as a win-win, and I'd say for the Cavs' perspective, Kobe Altman, first real test, and I think he passed it with flying colors. Um, the situation with Kyrie in general was kind of weird from the start. I mean, this is a guy who's playing with the best player in the game today, arguably the best player in the history of the game, going to the NBA Finals every year. So I I understand why him requesting a trade was so mind-boggling to a lot of fans, both Cavs fans and NBA fans. But I guess what do you think was the biggest factor in Kyrie prompting this trade? Was it simply that the Cavs didn't retain David Griffin and they had a great relationship? Was it that he was tired of playing in LeBron's shadow? Why did he want out of Cleveland and then off of that, how should Cavs fans view Kyrie's legacy after this strange departure?
1: Well, for me, the biggest factor, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head at the end there, is this fact that he always felt like he was living in LeBron's shadow to some extent. And, you know, it's no secret that LeBron James can be difficult to play with. We've all heard about, you know, the subtweets on social media, the subtweets through the media in general. Um you know, talking about teammates and interviews. He has this sort of discreet way of going about things and motivating his teammates. Um, not all players thrive under that, no matter how good they are. And I think Kyrie was one of those people. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, especially in sports. But, you know, for what it's worth, in after Game four of the Eastern Conference Finals, as I was going through video when this request broke, um Kyrie Irving talked openly about how it's been a struggle at times for him to find out how he fits uh, into that team and that he was just trying to do his best to live in the moment and to enjoy playing with LeBron while he could. Now, obviously, like I said, hindsight twenty twenty, um, we didn't really think much of that at the time. But once this request broke uh, at the end of July, almost oh, just over a month ago already, I believe, um, stuff like that stands out a little bit more at that point. Um, so I think it was a combination of All those things you sort of mentioned there, but realistically, it was the fact that he always pretty much felt like he was second fiddle to LeBron, and anybody that plays with LeBron James is going to feel like that. He's the greatest player in the world, and that's just the reality that you live in when you're on his team.
0: Yeah, it certainly makes sense that he kind of just wanted to be his own guy. We are talking with Ashley Bastock, editor for Northeast Ohio Sports Insiders, primarily covering the Cavs. Also covers the Indians from time to time. She'll be at the game tonight, so you can follow her updates over at Ashley Bastock 42 Ashley, my next question for you, now that the dust has kind of settled on this trade, is which one of these teams should we consider the favorite in the East? You have the Celtics now with a super team of their own, with Kyrie kind of as the main star but you also have the Cavs who still have LeBron James.
1: I definitely still think it's the Cavs, and not just because they're the team that I cover on the daily basis (laughs) during the NBA season, but realistically when you look at it, like you said, the Cavs still have the best player in the world in LeBron James. And, yes, losing Kyrie is, you know, it is a blow offensively, and I think Isaiah Thomas has – um, of the same pitfalls that Kyrie does, especially defensively um, for different reasons. Whereas Kyrie's, you know, reasons for lack of defensive prowess, if you will, was sort of a lack of effort most of the time. Uh, and Isaiah Thomas's is because he is significantly shorter than Kyrie is than a lot of the people that he's guarding. Um, but realistically, I think that the Cavs still made themselves better, especially defensively to match up with Golden State. And I've been saying for the last day or so that, Jay Crowder is the really underrated portion of this trade because you have a guy who can defend inside, can defend on the wing. Um, he has the ability to sort of take some of this pressure off of LeBron James in that Golden State matchup and that he can pretty much guard anyone, including the guards, you know, even for a little bit if he has to switch onto them and hang on to them but realistically he could potentially give LeBron James a big break when it comes to guarding Kevin Durant and guarding Draymond Green, especially in that matchup with golden state. Um, And then as far as the East, you know, I think this will only fuel LeBron's fire when it comes to getting out of the Eastern conference, because there's no way that he is going to not want to take another trip to the finals after the last seven years. Um, So I, you know, it's going to be definitely a battle if it comes down to Boston and Cleveland again uh, for the second straight year in the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Crowder. The other aspect of Crowder is that he's under team control for three years. So the Cavs with Isaiah Thomas only under contract for one year, maybe you lose him at the end of the season or don't want to offer him the max contract that he's probably seeking. But at the end of the day, out of this deal, you still get to keep Jay Crowder potentially long-term where you know he's a building block for whatever future that that team holds, whether it's with or without LeBron.
1: Exactly. And for me, you know, I sort of wrote about it, that Jay Crowder is like this combination almost of Richard Jefferson and Channing Frye, except he's better at defense than either of them are. Um, But he still, if he has another shooting year like he did last season, which, you know, there is a chance he shot 39.8% from behind the three-point arc um there that was by far the best season of his career there is a chance it could just be a flash in the pan but if it's not then he also is Channing Frye's ability to sort of spread the floor Mm -hmm. um and maybe have Cleveland you know sort of create Cleveland's little miniature death lineup to try to compete (laughs) with Golden State.
0: Ashley Bastock of NEO Sports Insiders here on CBS Sports Radio in Rochester okay so we've established that you think the Cavs are still the team to beat in the East. You've mentioned the the team out west, that's the team to beat, of course, the defending champions, the Golden State Warriors a couple times. How close do you think the Cavs are to beating them after this deal?
1: You know, I think it's probably just about equal or maybe slightly better, as I mentioned, because of the defense. Now, yeah. a lot of this, like you said, there's a lot to play out. It depends on injury. Um, you know, it's no secret that two years ago, the Cavs had a lot of things break their way to win that NBA finals. And I think they're still going to need some things to break their way, uh, you know, some, you know, like the Draymond Green suspension um, that happened two years ago. Golden State is still the best team in the NBA. It's going to be really hard for any team to get them in a best of seven series in the finals. Um, but having said that, well, while I don't know, I don't think that this move makes them better than Golden State, I think it maybe gives them a slight edge over what they had this past June.
0: What effect do you think this move has on LeBron specifically? Because we know he won't commit long-term to the Cavaliers beyond this year at this point. Of course there's still a lot that's going to play out. We have a whole season still to play. But does this move the needle for him at all and maybe entice him to stay?
1: Well, I think, well, sort of, it's one of those things you have to wait and see. And, you know, I've written about this before. It's really difficult to try to guess what LeBron is thinking unless he tells you, unless one of the people in his immediate circle tells you. So I'm pretty much always hesitant in guessing, basically, a year in advance into what LeBron James is going to do. Um, I think it depends on how this season goes. I think if the Cavs make it to a fourth consecutive NBA final and LeBron makes it to his eighth consecutive NBA, NBA Finals, um, then there is a good chance he stays. Um, I think it depends, though, on how well this team gels. But one of the reasons why I like this move so much is because, and I think I've alluded to this at the top of the segment, is that the Cavs prepared to, you know, contend for a championship now with this move. They didn't really lose the ability to do that, but they also prepared for the future in picking up Zizic and in picking up that unprotected draft pick. Uh, Because realistically, the Cavs are at the point now that they have to prepare for life without LeBron, no matter how it comes about, whether it comes about uh, him leaving as a free agent next summer, um, whether he is with the Cavs for the rest of his career. um, I think some of these moves for the future that they made yesterday uh, really can only help them. And let's face it, they're in a lot better position if he decides to leave next year than they were in 2010 when he decided to leave.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the pick. I think that was kind of the kicker in this deal for sure. Like you said, it's, it provides the Cavs with a nice consolation prize. If LeBron is to leave next summer where they say, Hey, we might have the first overall pick this year. And if he stays, then it only maybe lets them draft a player who they can pair with LeBron, a young guy, and they can get young kind of quick as well, which has been their problem the last couple of years. Um, is that something that they're willing to shop though? Because there are rumors that the Cavs are still looking to add. They're going to have to make some moves on the roster. To... So is the pick something they're willing to move or is it something they really covet as a safety net, uh, assuming LeBron leaves? And what other moves or options are in play here for the Cavs? I think that basically,
1: the, well, first to start off with the two moves that are in play here. I think the two guys that you mentioned, uh, Amon Shumpert and Channing Frye were names that we've been hearing all summer as potential moves. However, When we were hearing them, it was always in conjunction with a potential Kyrie Irving trade. So I'll be interested to see if anything comes to fruition and they try to move either of those guys. Um, For me, I really think the pick is insurance in case LeBron leaves. And, you know, I think they'd be smart to hang on to that pick for as long as possible, you know, unless they could get potentially another all-star to come here with it uh, in a trade. Um, I don't see that happening. I really think the best bet for this team is to hold on to that pick um, and try to figure out, okay, if LeBron is staying, who do we get to compliment him? And if he's not staying, who do we have to maximize our um, comeback, if you will, in a rebuild?
0: All right, Ashley, almost done, but I'm going to have to ask you to look into the crystal ball here. Still with the Cavs this time next year, LeBron, Isaiah Thomas, or neither? <laughs> man, why do you got to do this to me? Put me on the (laughs)
1: spot like this. That's rough. Um, Right now, I'm going to say still on the Cavs next season will be LeBron James. Cannot be sure about Isaiah Thomas yet because we all know that he's after that max contract. And obviously uh, LeBron James is going to be prioritized in that. It's unclear what the Cavs, uh, you know, cap space situation is going to look like next summer. Um, And that may be, uh, you know, a guy that they are willing to let walk in favor of, another all-star, or in favor uh, of that incoming draft pick if they decide they want to draft a point guard. So uh, something we'll have to see right now. If I had to pick, though, I would say LeBron is more likely to be on the Cavs next season than Isaiah Thomas.
0: Well, that's certainly the optimism that I know Cavs fans want to hear. I'd I'd love personally to obviously see LeBron finish his career in Cleveland. So definitely a a legacy thing there, but we'll see. Still a lot that has to play out, a lot that has to happen, but this, this move was the first step towards that. Again, she is Ashley Bastock. She is the editor for NEO Sports Insiders. You can read her work. Had plenty of it over these last 12 hours up at NEOsportsinsiders.com. Hey, before I let you go, I'm going to talk about Mayweather McGregor next. Do you have any dog in this fight? Do you care at all about fighting? I tend to
1: not follow MMA fighting, so I cannot give an accurate prediction. I would say I would say if you're placing a bet, don't listen to me. However, from <laughs> what I do know, Given that it is boxing, I would 100% expect Floyd Mayweather to win. You know, you're hearing people, some uh, analysts say that they'd be shocked if McGregor even gets a punch on him. Um, so if I was a betting woman, which I am not, I would put money down on Money Mayweather.
0: Well, hey, expert or not, I appreciate your input. Like I said, we're talking <laughs> about that next, so wanted to see what you thought. And I'm going to be honest— I understand why Mayweather's a heavy favorite of course it's it's M- McGregor stepping into his world and he's dominated boxing but part of me thinks that McGregor could land one of his lethal punches and maybe rattle Mayweather a bit and he's not used to that. Uh, if I if I had money to bet I would consider putting down $100 on McGregor for the sole fact that if he wins You'd I make would make a lot have of money great returns <laughs> on my investment. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, 100%
0: Oh, man, it's tempting. It's tempting. But anyway, thank you again, Ashley. Much appreciated. Check out Ashley Bastock's work at com. Also on Twitter, at Ashley Bastock 42 She covers the Cavs. She covers the Indians as well. And I know she'll be at the game tonight. Ashley, thanks as always for coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem, Spencer.
0: There you go. The latest from Cleveland on the Kyrie Irving Celtics Cavs trade. Great insight as always from Ashley. Glad she could give us some time today. That said, we do have to take a break. We will be back, and we're talking Mayweather-McGregor next. Who you got? Are you taking the upset? Are you sticking with Mayweather? We find out next on Sports Talk with Spencer.